0: Well, I know there's got to be someone here for whom this is their favorite Bible verse. Who, who, who is it that this is their favorite Bible verse? No, No one? <laughs> no, I don't think probably in the history of the church has anyone said that this parable from Jesus about Lazarus and the rich man was their favorite Bible verse. I don't think it's supposed to be our favorite Bible verse. But how about another? How about the Beatitudes? You know the Beatitudes, they're in both Matthew and Luke. Blessed are the poor, right? Do you know those? Blessed are the poor. Yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, right? It will be filled with laughter. Now, is that anyone's favorite Bible verse? That's more likely to be someone's favorite Bible verse. People have written books and books about the Beatitudes. I once read that Gandhi, who was not even a Christian, read the Beatitudes every single day. He loved them that much. The Beatitudes, usually most people think, oh, they're lovely, right? The Beatitudes are terrific. But what's interesting to me is that The Beatitudes and this parable that we heard today that Jesus tells are actually very similar. They both have this kind of reversal, where those up here end up down here, and those down here end up here. In Luke's version of the Beatitudes, it says, not just blessed are the poor, but woe to you who are rich now, you have received your consolation, right? The same thing, this reversal. But for some reason, we like the Beatitudes and we like to hear the Beatitudes, I know I do, a lot more than I like to hear this parable about Lazarus and the rich man, even though they're very similar. You could say if the Beatitudes was the book, then this, Lazarus and the rich man is kind of like the movie version, right? It's like the drama version of this nice thing that Jesus says in the Beatitudes. Here we see it acted out with characters. And they're kind of exaggerated. You have the rich man really a character of him, right? He's so, he wears fine linens and purple robes and the fanciest clothes every day, right? Not just sometimes, but every day. And he has these feasts, not just every once in a while, but every day, right? It has us picture someone who's not just rich, but like addicted to his riches. Every day he has to do these things. And then on the other end, We hear about Lazarus, who's like the lowest of the low. Really almost invisible. People don't see him. He sits at the gate of the rich man. And he's so helpless that even dogs come and lick his wounds and he can't do anything about it, right? Like repulsive. So we get the extremes. It's as if Jesus said, all right, you liked the Beatitudes. Let me put it in practice and take it to the extremes and see how much you still like it. But actually, I think there's even more than that that makes the parable different. Something that the parable has that really makes it difficult for us. And it's not just the high, high of the rich man and the low, low of Lazarus and then the reverses. The parable deals with that space in between, the distance between them. The the parable deals with this distance. In fact, it even calls it, it has a name for it, it says the chasm. The parable says that there is this chasm between the rich man and Lazarus. And I think it's the chasm that makes the parable difficult for us. And I think it's difficult because we know, we feel the chasm. I think all of us know this feeling of the chasm. And I bet you have a moment, I know there's a moment that I feel the chasm, in this case, the between the rich and the poor, right? When I'm getting on to 275 and I'm on that ramp and maybe you're waiting and there might be a guy with a cardboard sign and he starts walking along the cars and and he gets right about in front of your car. Do you feel that need to check? My door's locked, (laughs) but you don't want to do it. You don't want to be obvious, but you just kind of want to check. You feel that tension there. That's the chasm. That's the disconnection, this separation that we feel that kind of feels like fear, uncertainty, the chasm, right? Because it's not just that that person needs something. All of us have needed money at some point, right? And our friends need money. We help them out. But there's something about this stranger. We feel this chasm between us. It's not just between the richest and the poor, right? This chasm we feel between people just who are different from us, really in any way. They look different. They come from a different place. They speak a different language, and we feel a chasm between us. Happens, you know, in our uh, political discussions, if you can call them discussions, right? I stand here, and I have my talking points, and I kind of lob them over this way, and you stand over here, and you have your talking points, and you lob them over that way. But it's like there's always this gap, right? Very rarely does someone, does it end up with coming together, right? It's like we have this chasm between us who are different. We have it among people that we love, too, where a chasm will develop. And sometimes we don't even know what it is, but it's like we can't reach them. There's something there that we can't seem to cross. There's this haunting poem by a poet named Stevie Smith, and it talks of, it's kind of her version of Lazarus and the rich man, I think. And there's this man who drowns and he's out in the water. He goes too far out and his friends see him but they don't realize he's drowning. And you have this voice of him as if it's the, the dead man speaking and saying, I was, I was waving, I was not waving, I was drowning. And his friends say, oh, that was just like him though. He was always playing around, you know, he was always horsing around and we didn't know. And the drowned man says, no, no, no. My whole life long, I was not Waving, I was drowning, I was always too far out. Do you feel that sometimes? There's people we know very well, but it's like they're too far out. There's a chasm between us. There's something we maybe can't describe it, but we can't connect either. Something missing. We have these chasms even within us, right? And the separation between sometimes what we say we believe and what we do are often different things. Even Paul himself in the book of Romans talked about this, you know, the, the thing that I, I know I want to do, I don't do it, and the thing I don't want to do, I do it, this chasm even within ourselves, between what we want to do and what we actually do. We have these chasms in our own lives, and I think we all feel that. Last year, when our Faith Works group, we tried to put our faith into practice after worship, right? So we had this. Uh, I have a great idea. We're going to go to the uh, laundromat up the street, and we were going to bring some quarters, and we were going to do actually just what in the Beatitudes and Luke it says to give without expecting repayment, right? To love your neighbor without expecting anything in return. And so that was the idea. We're just going to go up to the laundromat and we're going to pay for people's laundry. Take these quarters and pop them in the machine and pay for people's laundry. We weren't doing it as, you know, to go out and get new members. We expected nothing in return. It was to go out and share, just share an act of kindness with someone else. And I think in my head I thought, well that's a great idea. And I kind of pictured that we would be like a flock of tooth fairies or something and we'd have our quarters and we would just kind of pass through the laundromat and put the put the quarters in and pass out and kind of anonymously, right? We're not doing it for recognition. We just help people and then leave like you know, like a cloud of tooth fairies in and out. But it's not <laughs> really how it worked, because when we got there, there are people, you know, real people there in various different states of doing their laundry. Some hadn't started their laundry yet. In fact, they hadn't picked a machine yet. So we, okay, well, what machine should we put it in? Some had already done their laundry and they weren't doing any more laundry. So we couldn't put it into a machine at all. So, okay, so we we just maybe reimburse them. Orders or what, and, we, and then there's a manager there who kind of wanted to know okay, what are you guys doing in my laundromat? So it got a lot more complicated when it became real people. And there was no normal role, right? There was not a normal thing we were doing where sometimes you'd, you help the poor, right, in a soup kitchen and you have your role and they have their role, and it, that's pretty comfortable. But we had to talk to the just normal folks there and figure out what, what did they need. And we had to interact with them in this kind of awkward moment. Now, I'm the, a people person. I have to be for my job, right? But when I, we started doing this, I started looking for which of the dryers that I could climb into and hide <laughs> because it was so awkward and uncomfortable at first, to just cross the chasm between us and just regular folks doing their laundry. I don't know. I don't know how awkward you all felt, but I felt, so, I felt so awkward because I didn't. You know, I didn't know. How, are we? What's going on here? And I realized that even you know, doing a nice thing, even you know, interacting with people who are not you know, they weren't destitute. They're just normal folks doing their laundry. I felt this chasm. And here we were just with our baggies of quarters. I think it's this chasm in the parable that is most uncomfortable. When we hear about the rich man and Lazarus and then the reversal, even though they're completely reversed by the end of the parable, the chasm is still there. That separation between them, it doesn't change. There's still this distance Between them. And that's painful. The chasm is painful for us. We know that something is wrong. We normally try to avoid thinking about the chasm, but it's real. Now Luke tells us what the problem is here. Just a few verses before, Luke makes sure that we know, first of all, this parable was not for the crowd. This parable was for the Pharisees. That's who Jesus told it for. And it says the problem, Luke is pretty explicit. He diagnoses the problem here. He says, the problem with the Pharisees is that they are lovers of money. He doesn't say that money itself is a problem. He said the Pharisees are lovers of money. Same with the second reading that we heard today. A lot of people misquote the Bible and say money is the root of all evil, right? But it doesn't say that. It says The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? And Luke identifies that that is what has created the chasm between the rich man and Lazarus is the rich man's love of money, his addiction to it, his need for it, that has changed everything for him so that he no longer even sees other people. Lazarus, the poor man, the parable tells us he lived right outside the rich man's gate. He was his closest neighbor, probably. The rich man probably saw him every single day, but he did not see him. He did not really see him because of his love of money. Because for him, profits were more important than people, right? Money was more important than relationships. And so he no longer saw Lazarus and Lazarus' need right in front of him. And unfortunately, this doesn't even change when this great reversal happens and Lazarus is lifted up into the afterlife with the angels and the rich man is down there. It's still there. We know because Lazarus calls out to Father Abraham, reminding us that these are all children of Abraham, right? They're all just people of God, children of God. But somehow he says, Father Abraham, could you please send Lazarus to dip his finger and water just to cool the tip of my tongue because I'm being tormented. Which tells you that even now, even after being humbled, even after being tormented, how does the rich man see Lazarus still as like just someone who could maybe help him? Basically like his cabana boy who could bring him a little bit of comfort He still doesn't see him as a person, right? And then when he hears that this chasm is too great. No, Lazarus cannot cross the chasm to you. Then he thinks, well, maybe Lazarus can be sent to go as a favor to my brothers and warn them. So now he thinks, well, if he can't be my cabana boy, maybe he can be like my courier or like an Uber driver for them or something. See, he still doesn't see him as a person. The chasm still exists. It makes him so he cannot see his fellow man as his fellow man, as a brother or a sister. So this parable is lifting up this chasm. It's why it's so uncomfortable that we just have to look at it. We have to confront it if we read, if we hear this parable. But Jesus doesn't just bring it up for us to feel bad, right? That's not very productive. In fact, the whole gospel of Luke at the beginning, it is addressed to this patron, Theophilus. So the whole Gospel of Luke was kind of written down and given to a very wealthy person. The purpose was not just to make wealthy people feel bad. The purpose was to do something else. I think this parable, when it is presented and we see this chasm in front of us, the parable is inviting us to step in to the chasm. Now I know that is scary, right? Because the chasm is painful and uncomfortable. We don't even want to think about it being there. But I also think we like that it is there. It makes us comfortable that there is a separation between us and other people who might bring us pain or might give us anxiety or their problems might become our problems. So, Although we don't like to think about the chasm, we also kind of reinforce it, maybe brick around it and keep it the way it is. And here in this parable, we are being invited not to look at it and feel bad, but to step into it, into this distance between us and others. That painful separation that we feel between us and strangers, between us and people who are different from us. Even into those painful separations that are close to us, to step into it instead of moving away from it. Now, I know that is risky. In fact, it is risky. When we move into those chasms, we do give up some safety, right? When we get closer to others, we are more likely to be hurt by them or to lose something. It's true, but the parable wants to tell us that we are in more danger on this side of the chasm than we are entering into the chasm, even though it is scary. And even though we might lose something, we will never be satisfied as long as that distance is there. We will always yearn. We might feel more comfortable, but we will never be satisfied as long as these chasms lie between us and others. Because as long as we keep our neighbors at arm's length, We keep God at arm's length. And you know where Jesus goes, right? Jesus goes in the chasm. We want to be close to Jesus. We have to step into that difficult place, that unknown, that distance between us and another person, between us and those who might scare us. That is where. Jesus lives. I know it's hard, it's scary, it is uncomfortable, but we are called to step in with whatever we have, whether it's a a baggie full of quarters or your gifts and your skills, your personality, whatever kind of wealth that you have, we're called to step in to that distance between us and one another because that is where God is, and we are invited into that gap, that chasm. It is risky. You may lose something, but blessed are the hungry, for they will be filled, right? Blessed are those who lose anything for the sake of one another, for the sake of the world. Amen.